This is the Equip Podcast hosted at Rocky Creek in Greenville, South Carolina. This weekly course seeks to equip our church for the work of ministry. Hope it will help you as well. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that Jesus uh, talked about uh, marriage and divorce as well. And we want to talk about a real uh, simple line that says divorce proofing your marriage. Okay, so that sounds easy enough. Uh, obviously, nothing is fail proof, but I believe that these are some things that we can really look at that can help tonight. Uh, and so uh, when we look at it, no matter how challenging your marriage is, you can find help and discover potential marriage separators and do what you can to avoid them in your relationship. So we look at Mark chapter 10. Obviously, as we looked at Jesus' teaching on divorce um, uh, earlier today from the Sermon on the Mount, Here's another situation where some Pharisees came up to try to get him in trouble, as they would typically do and always royally fail at. Uh, But in Mark chapter 10, verse 2, it says, And Pharisees came up and in order to test him asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote to you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, in passages like these that are very difficult to kind of unpack, but what was Jesus doing right away? He, he sort of jumps on what he started with today about saying, hey, there's a reason why God gave this certificate of divorce. And they said, yeah, well, he gave us that certificate of divorce. He said, because of your hardness of heart. Well, thank you, Jesus. That's very kind of you to say, but what is he saying? He knows because he knows the human heart, and the human condition. Are divorces going to take place? Absolutely, they are. So why did he allow it to happen? Because once again, wanting a civil approach for people to do uh, such a thing. So he says, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. All right, 2021. Um, Is Jesus being kind of specific on how he sees a few things right there in that statement? Because a lot of times... um, There are plenty of people who will look at and criticize the Bible because of Leviticus or the Apostle Paul, but they'll say Jesus never talked about marriage or heterosexuality or gender. And I go, I think that's him speaking right there, right? Because the way I read it now, and it says straight out, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. God makes gender. God makes us either male or female, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, I am very thankful that he didn't make us all the same, okay? I'm thankful that there are differences there. And he says, look, he's made them male and female, and he made them for a reason, okay? So that these two would complement one another. They don't clone one another. They're uh, similar but different enough that they should help, right? And so uh, with this, this, this idea that he made them male and female, God distinguishes he's okay with pronouns that are like him and her he's completely fine in that that's not a a bad thing um and and yet i know we live in a time where there's a lot of confusion on that but jesus was very clear uh, and he's not apologetic about it he also says therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife is he clear on who he thinks should be married there 
Yes. He doesn't say something in the negative. He says it in the positive. He says what he's for. Oftentimes, as churches, we are um, regularly known for what we're against, right? We speak out against this, and we're against this, we're against this. What Jesus says, here's what we're for. That God creates people, and he creates them male, and he creates them female, and a man's going to leave, and he's going to marry a wife. That's the way it's been from the beginning of creation, and that's the way that Jesus would see it in his day. And I think that we can hold to those values as well. And he says that you leave father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That is what the scripture, especially if you grew up on the KJV, leave and cleave, right? Okay, you leave one thing and you cleave, you, you become one. It is a unique relationship. And so what is interesting, a lot of times I love sitting down with couples doing premarital counseling, and I will look at them and I'll say, who in your family is going to give your marriage the biggest trouble, okay? Which is always an interesting conversation to have, okay? And a lot of times go, oh, it's going to be my such and such, you know, or it's going to be whatever. Who is it that's going to cause this marriage union to be struggled? Because sometimes that leaving and making a new family, right, is, can be challenging. It can be very challenging. And so he says, look, you've got to have a special relationship. It doesn't mean that you just completely disregard your family, but it means once you get married, you are one with that person. That's a different level, right? Different than any other relationship in the world. He says, so a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast his wife, and the two shall become not a pair, not a team, not a combo. They become one. They become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. And he says, so what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate, right? Now with that, uh, are there a few items that can separate a marriage? For sure, and so much so that the disciples had to ask him again about this matter. And in verse 11, he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Now, if you just take those statements, there are some things, even in what we talked about today, that Jesus doesn't include there, okay? Or at least Mark doesn't include in his summation of it. You, you do realize this, that sometimes, um, take the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters in your Bible, they did not have somebody recording that audio. You know, this wasn't a sermon tape they were passing around. They're sitting there going, now, what do you say next? I think it was poor in spirit. No, 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 no. It wasn't poor in spirit. It was merciful. You know, they're remembering this and writing it down later. So even in this, do you think that uh, verse 2 through verse 9 is the entirety of the conversation that he had with the Pharisees that day? There's no way. No way. Pharisees like to talk too much anyway, okay? There's no, this is a summation of it. What is the summation in verse 10 through 12? It's the summation of, of the discussion. It says the disciples asked him again about this matter. They're in the house. Do you think the conversation with a bunch of disciples, now wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Now my brother got divorced one time. And you know, his and there, all these scenarios, and this is the summation of it. So what is Jesus saying? What do we know for sure he's saying? If you divorce and remarry for trivial reasons, it's you are committing adultery. It is that serious, right? Now, um, one of the things that as we we're, we go through this, what is he he's trying to say? You don't just run in and out of a marriage because someone gets on your nerves or you'll have a disagreement because you are one with this person and you just can't disband oneness. I was talking with someone recently who'd just been divorced and he said, or called him on the morning that the divorce proceedings were going to happen and he said, today a decoupling is happening that God does not approve of and I can't stop it. I want to stop it. God, this is breaking down what God has caused us to be together. And there's this truth. And so what Jesus is saying here is that if you 
divorce for trivial reasons, you've got to see that the oneness that God provides just doesn't go away even because the certificate is there. There has to be substantial reasons for God to even say, I'm okay with it. Now, the, 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 the deal comes up in this, and just because we're there, um, so there's probably somebody here today that in one of our four services thought, uh-oh, that divorce I had 25 years ago was not justifiable, okay? So what do you do? Well, you don't divorce the spouse that you currently have to go back to that spouse and try to make things work. All that does is cause more issues, right? First Corinthians chapter 7, what does the Apostle Paul say? Uh, when certain things happen, you are free to go on with your life. You're free to get married again. You're free to do this kind of things. But also, I think he also encourages sometimes you've got to stay in the state that you're in, whatever it is. So some people may go, I, I had a bad divorce, but now I'm remarried. What do I do? Well, you don't fix that sin by creating more sin. Make sense? You've got to say, okay, it is what it is. And now what is God calling me to do? Well, if you're married... You love your spouse the way that God's word commands you to love your, your spouse. That's what it's supposed to do. Think about it even in this way. Um, there's probably many of us that either in our own life or in a relationship we know that a marriage got started off on the wrong foot, right? There's plenty of people I know that someone has gotten pregnant out of wedlock and say, we need to get married. Was well, that marriage doomed to fail? Nope. It's going to make that first year a little challenging, right? There's going to be some things that are more challenging. So what does God want them to do? To address where you are and make it the best you possibly can. That's what he calls any of us to do. And so in this, Jesus is speaking, and we're getting the general summary of it. But in that verse 9 that's so important for us to get, he goes, when God brings something together, let not man separate. And the way that I always think through it and try my simple mind is, okay, so if God puts something together but we can separate it, <laughs> What are some of the things that can separate it? And there's a lot of things that can obviously separate a marriage. Um, once you think really quick, just, just comments. What are some of the typical things that could separate a marriage uh, today? What are some things that come to your mind? Money, Money? okay. Pornography. Pornography, okay, great. Children. Children, yep. Just jobs and busyness, right? Parents. Yeah, parents can. Uh, all different types of things can cause separation in marriage. So if God brings it together, he goes, but don't let anything separate it. And some of us may go, well, I got a lot of separators or potential separators. So what do I do? If I think through it, I will try to sum, sum up about six different areas that I feel like typically can separate a marriage and to kind of think through. So the first one is what I call developing disconnect. And what I mean by that is the more that you get used to one another, the easier it is to take the marriage for granted, right? The more you get used to one another, the easier it is to take the marriage for granted. Um, so when I was, uh, the year before I got married, I just graduated college, I worked in, at preaching at a camp in St. Louis for the full summer, and then um, I came back and started working at the church in August, and then we were to get married the following June. Um, I would tell this story as a sermon illustration about the time I proposed to Amanda, and was talk about how it, basically the idea was, I didn't do all these things to earn her love. I did all these things because of her love, right? So I, I wasn't doing all this kind of stuff because I was wondering, ah, I wonder if she's actually going to say yes. It's going, I want this moment to be special for her because I know she's going to say yes. How could she not, right? Like, I mean, I was in that, that vein, that, that thought process. And so I, I talk about that in our relationship with the Lord. And I remember that one day, um, one, one week, after the service, I was talking with some, some young folks, whatever, about some commitments they made. And this youth pastor came up to me and he said, he goes, 
15 years. No, he said, he said, 10 years, 10 years. And I said, 10 years what? He goes, you call me in 10 years and still tell me if you're talking about your wife the way you talk about her now. And he's telling us a bunch of teenagers. And, I, and so you know what my response was? I said, give me your number. Mm-hmm. And he goes, what? I said, give me your telephone number so that I can call you in 10 years and prove to you that a marriage can still be strong. Well, then about a day later, he came back and apologized to me. And said, I'm sorry, man. I just, things been rough at home. And I'm like, I wonder why. You know, <laughs> he seemed very romantic. Uh, you know, uh, um, and so I remember just that idea. But it did scare me enough to go, you know what? Like, life's going to happen, right? At, at different places. And so I can actually remember, though, um, so we got married in 2004. Uh, so 2014, we were at our 10-year mark. Uh, boys were six. Gloria was two. And we were rushing out the door just trying to get somewhere to go and do something special at our 10-year anniversary. By the time we were out of town, we were completely just exhausted. And we're like, what do you want to do, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, that youth pastor came to my mind. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I was like, I need the guy's number, right? I'm going to call him up and either apologize or yell at him for you know this self-fulfilling prophecy. But, but I have realized this, that... The longer you can get used to marriage, that you, you can't get used to the person. You take them for granted, and this disconnect can grow, right, over time. You, the stuff that you used to do to try to uh, lure that person in, right? It's like, oh, well, I got you now. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But there are certain things that a disconnect can take place. And so we have to be aware that if there are forces trying to separate your marriage, you must apply effort to keep it intact, right? There are things that are trying to actively, actively separate. There are these forces we talked about. There is an enemy itself that would love to ruin every marriage here in this church. And so with that, if there are forces that are trying to separate a marriage, we have to always remember that we've got to apply effort to keep it intact. Um, I was talking to, to, to uh, Dr. Fant, and he, we're talking about North Greenwood University, and he said, you know, if you look at all the institutions through the years that have walked away from Orthodox Christianity, you never drift back towards biblical Christianity. You always drift away from it. If you go back, it has to be like a hard, sharp turn, somebody leading. The same way, marriages, they drift apart. They don't drift naturally together. You've got to put some work into it, right? You get any kind of thing you get used to over and over again, uh, there is something that you have to continue to make it uh, fresh and, and intentional to make sure it's intact. And the strongest marriages are those characterized by continual intentionality. Those that I know that are strong and developing and growing are those that are least intentional about how are we going to continue to grow through the years and not just get stuck. So if a disconnect can take place, it can take place naturally and over time, we say, okay, how can I be continual? How can I continue to try to be intentional and and to build into our marriage? Um, I always laugh when people would tell me before I got married, you need to lead your wife. And I would go, where? (laughs) Like, what does that mean, right? We have all these kind of things about what we talk about, but specifically, what are you doing to connect together? Um, some things that I've heard through the years is, okay, you need to make sure you're having the time or you're talking about the issues that you need to. All of those things are important, but just don't get used to that relationship. The second major separator that I would see in marriage is what I call unmet needs. Uh, when there are certain needs that are going unmet within the marriage relationship, it causes us to get our feelings hurt and justify why we should meet the other person's needs, whatever they may be. Um, and as you do this, this is what we need to make sure that we, we do. When you get to needs, 
Uh, sometimes we say that my needs aren't being met, but what that really means is my wants and my preferences are not being met, okay? And that's different, right? Needs and wants are a different thing. You told that to your kids. You, no, you don't need a new bicycle. You want a new bicycle. And there are certain things, I need this. No, no, no. You may want that, but you got to understand what it is. And so you differentiate between what I would call unmet expectations, unrealistic expectations, and unknown expectations. So you got to differentiate between those three things, right? So here is what unmet expectations are. Um, they are expectations you have said, I need this from you, and someone is saying no, or I forgot, or I just don't care enough to make it a priority. That is an unmet expectation of what uh, something that you say you need and it's not being met. That is different than unrealistic expectations, right? It is unrealistic at certain points in your life for certain things to be expected of you and everything is going to be just exactly the way you want. Sometimes, some people have the bar so high, it's unrealistic. It, it's just, it's, it's not even fathomable what someone can accomplish for somebody else. But on the other end, sometimes they're just unknown expectations. Sometimes people are very frustrated in their marriage and they've never communicated something they need. And so this person's like, why, why, you know, why isn't he meeting my need? And, and he actually might be able to do it. He just doesn't know about it. Ladies, I know you may find this shocking. Most men, we, we don't know what's going on. I, we're not mind readers. Um, and and, and any time that you think that you want us to be, we, we really are that slow in some areas, okay? And so uh, there are times where I'm just like, just what do you need? Like, I, I, I want you to know. I, I don't. I, 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 I don't understand. So, but if you tell me, right? If, if, you, if I let it known, if, if you tell me what it is, and it is realistic, if it's not met, now what is it? It's unmet. And that's my responsibility. But sometimes it can be unrealistic. That's on that person, or it's unknown. You're not communicating it. So, so what is it that you need? Um, uh, one of my friends who, pastoral counselor, said that one day this um, lady was trying to express in um, marriage counseling what she needed from her husband, but she was being too abstract for her concrete husband you know i just want him to be kinder to me the way he talks well you know what she means he's just like well there's certain things that i don't want him to say to me it just offends me whatever i have no idea what she's talking about she finally broke because i don't want you to call me a blank anymore he uses the curse word okay and the pastor goes is that clear enough for you he goes i got it okay now at that point if he says it now it's unmet right now, obviously, what, what he was saying should have been just common sense, but once again, he's a guy. So, we'll give him, uh, but at that point, there's unknown. I don't want you to do this anymore. When you do this, it, it, it hurts me. I, I, it doesn't meet my needs. And so sometimes it's just a simple question. What am I doing that's hurting you? And I'm going to stop. There you go. What is it that I can do that can help you? And I'll, I'll start doing it. If it's realistic, if it's known, let me do that. And so if you have a reasonable need that can be met in your marriage, communicate it clearly and wait for it patiently. So if there's something that you need, you're going, okay, uh, I need this to be met in marriage, communicate it clearly, make it simple. This is exactly what I need for you and wait for it patiently. You do not say, I need you to do this. And by the way, you got about 35 seconds left. Okay, no, you, you wait for it patiently. You say, okay, let me, let me see if, if this comes about. I'm ready and listening and willing to go. And, and the goal of marriage is to glorify God by meeting your spouse's needs. One of the goals of marriage is that we glorify God 
Part of the way that we glorify God is by meeting our spouse's needs. Because what it says to God is, I'm not going to make this all about me. I'm going to make this about someone else. And that glorifies God. So when we're able to do that, I've always said that in marriage, um, you wake up and you're two needy people, right? And if if the uh, guy wakes up making it all about his needs and the lady wakes up making it all about her needs, both of them are selfish, the needs might have been met, but nobody's really happy. But if you wake up in the morning, the guy says, I'm going to meet her needs. And she wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to meet his needs. At the end of the day, all needs are met. No one's been selfish. Like this is the way that God has, has wired it for us to glorify him and to meet our spouse's needs. Now, uh, a third major marriage separator, as we've already mentioned, uh, reordered relationships. Um, is that sometimes we can have a good relationship in a bad spot, right? Make sense? Not a bad thing. It could be parents, it could be kids, it could be friends, it could be a whole host of things, but a reordered relationship where that person isn't in the right place. Now, you cannot keep a healthy marriage relationship if any other relationship is viewed as a threat, okay? Um, you cannot keep a healthy marriage relationship if any other relationship is viewed as a threat, and that doesn't mean, oh, this person intimidates me. This means that this person has a greater relationship to you on an intimate emotional level than I do. Okay? So if I'm going through a difficult situation, if someone else is the first person there rather than my spouse, that shows somebody's kind of in that first spot. Um, uh, the, the simplest way that I, I can kind of do this, but... Um, one of the uh, funny conversations I had with a, a young couple that was talking about that the guy was very frustrated that uh, she, um, you know, she just wasn't respecting him as man and she wasn't blah, blah, blah. And, and she, even in this situation, she's like, I don't know what he means. Finally came down to a concrete example that she understood. They haven't married long. She had a flat tire and she called her daddy instead of her husband. Okay. I'd be like, Good job, dear. That's what I would initially think, right? I could. I'd much rather Terry take care of that than me. But no, um, what did that say to him? You still see him as your protector and not me. And that's supposed to be my role now. And it, and it, and it like made him feel insignificant and really made him uneasy because he felt like, I, I'm supposed to be that for you, right? Now, do you, does he want his wife to have a good, healthy relationship with her dad? Yes. But there was something about that reordered spot that kind of made him a little uneasy. So we all need family and friends, but we must maintain those relationships in the proper position, right? We all need family. We need our uh, folks in our life. We need friends, but we must maintain those relationships in the proper position. If there is a family member that has a higher position than your spouse, that is going to be a dangerous situation. That, that doesn't mean this. Oh, well, you're taking care of this. You're, you're going to that. It doesn't mean that. And, and y'all also know unhealthy jealousy can be here, right? It's just unreasonable. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about reasonable. This person still has more influence and connection than your spouse does. That's always going to be a problem. If there's a friend that has more input into someone's life than a spouse, that'll always be a problem. So if any relationship is not supportive of your marriage, you cannot continue close proximity to that person. That may seem harsh, but I cannot speak it more clearly than if there is a relationship in your life that goes, oh, I can't believe you're married to him. Oh, she is such a drag to you. I don't understand how you put up with it. You need to remove yourself from the proximity of being close to that relationship because all it's doing is feeding your head with lies that tells you you need to walk away from the marriage relationship. 
And um, there are times when I've heard people that are in family relationships or friend relationships downplay the marriage, right? Um, there are people that I talk to, and guess what? If you're considering a divorce, you know where you typically find the people who really want to tell you what you want to hear are people who have been divorced. And they'll say, oh, I'm so glad I did it. You should have done it years ago. You're going to be so happy. You're going to think the, the kids will be fine, blah, blah, blah. You, you need to do this. And all they're doing, that person is trying to convince themselves they made the right call, right? And they're trying to bring somebody else into it and make themselves feel better. And if there's a person encouraging a divorce or encouraging separation, you have got to run. You do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Get away from that person as quickly as you possibly can. And, and one indication of this is that a marriage might be in trouble when someone knows something significant about you that your spouse doesn't know. Just a typical, easy kind of answer to this. Is there someone who knows something about me or understands me better than my spouse? Okay? Um, there was a time in my life where I had some friends who said, yeah, you know, when my wife, when she gets on this kind of rant about certain things, I just, you know, she's just talking and talking and talking. I tell her she needs to go and talk to such and such over there. He always sets her straight. And then she's fine. I go, no, wait a minute. Wait, come again? Oh, well, you know, they're friends at work, but whenever she talks to him, he settles her down. So if she's talking to me, I just say, just go talk to him, and he'll take care of it. That's a problem. <laughs> That's a serious problem. And you go, okay, well, y'all know there are people you just talk to easier. I get it, but this is your spouse. Got to be in a specific place with it that no other relationship can threaten. Uh, fourth major uh, separator in marriage is a stressful schedule. Uh, and I break this down kind of into work, busyness, and hobby. Let me just kind of show these as potential marriage separators. Uh, as it comes to work, obviously, um, unfortunately, let, let's, you know, a lot of times we spend the majority of our days in a certain place working at something, and by the time you get home, guess what happens? You're tired. And you've been dealing with stressful people all day, right? And you don't want to go home and deal with another stressful person. It was funny one day, uh, Amanda was like, how was your day today? I was like, well, it was all right. You know, she goes, well, what happened? I said, well, I just, you know, had about three different counseling situations. You know, just a lot of stuff going on. You just need to just pray. God gives me wisdom in these situations. And she goes, so you mean to tell me you've been dealing with people's problems all day? I'm like, yes, yeah. because you probably don't want to hear anybody else's, do you? I'm going, I got time for one more. <laughs> What's going on, right? What happens is a lot of time we give our best to our work, and by the time we get home to the people who needs our best, guess what? We got nothing left. We got nothing left. And so you have to protect it. You know, don't fool yourself by saying that your provision negates the importance of your presence, right? Like, well, just because I provide or I give this, they obviously know. Well, that's great that you financially provide for the family and you work a job. That's wonderful. But what they probably enjoy more than a paycheck is you. They would. They'll be more stable with the fact that um, hey, you spend time. I, I have often realized that in our, our family, I think my kids are more appreciative when I take time to play a board game than it is, oh, guess what? Daddy, you know, brought home, you know, I'll say this, boys want to make sure I'm feeding you. I understand that. But deep down, what do they want? They want a relationship with me. They do. And so just because of work, same way in marriage, just because of that, you want to make sure that you're with one another, not just work is taking all that from you. Busyness can be a problem. Uh, your schedule needs to be reprioritized if the one who deserves your best often gets your worst. So if you are always giving of yourself and completely exhausted and just tanked after everything else and you're just too busy that you don't have time to spend together, that is a problem. Um, I have uh, heard different people say, 
about how you should prioritize time with your spouse, that you at least need 15 minutes of just uninterrupted, focused conversation daily, right? Some of you are like, 15 minutes, that's a lot of time. Some of you are like, oh, I'm just getting started. Sometimes we can talk too little, and sometimes, folks, well, you might be talking too much, okay? We need 15 minutes of, hey, not how was your day? That was fine. How was yours? Like, no, tell me what's going on, and then you can move on from there. But I would say like a daily time where you connect. Uh, if you can have a weekly or um, every other week, a date with your spouse where you get out and you're not going on work and you're not doing this, kind of just take time to do that. Um, I would encourage once a year, spend more than a couple hours together. Take a day, go do something fun. Just have a good rhythm of what is healthy in our schedule to make sure that we're not too busy, that we don't spend time with each other. And then a hobby, um, you know, uh, hobbies are good things, right? They can be, okay? Uh, have you ever seen a hobby become a bad thing? Easily can, right? Easily can. A good thing can become a bad thing when it becomes the one thing to the neglect of the essential things, right? It can be a good thing, but it can turn into a bad thing if it becomes that one thing that neglects all of what the essential things are. And so, I'll say a hobby is a great thing as long as it doesn't take away from the family. Well, what's a healthy amount? What the spouses agree upon. That's what's healthy. That's a, that's a good level. To be able to go, what, what is a hobby? What, what's the stuff that you're doing? Um, and there are some people that I know, some spousal relationships that are in conflict. You know why? Because somebody is jealous of that hobby. If you would only spend the amount of money and time that you do on that on me, guess what? All my needs would be met. And so to find that right balance. Uh, number five is immoral issues. Um, can be a certain just dangerous, sinful thing that obviously is separating. Um, one of my favorite uh, verses uh, in, in Song of Solomon uh, is, uh, it's, it says, um, I think it's chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Be careful to catch the little foxes among us that spoil the vineyards. And I go, what in the world does that mean? Well, this is a bride and groom talking to each other. And back in the day, the little foxes, they weren't dangerous, like they're going to eat anybody. They're just going to come and mess the vineyard up and slow things down. And so what it says, catch the little foxes that are running in and just kind of making chaos. What is he saying? Sometimes you can see the big glaring issues, but be careful. There might be small stuff that's coming in and may not be wrecking the whole joint initially, but can eventually cause some issues. And so... Sometimes, uh, as it says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in blossom. Sometimes the most dangerous nuisances in your marriage are not the ones that are the most glaringly obvious. Sometimes there are things that are going on in the marriage that need to be addressed, and immediately, originally, they may not seem that bad, but uh, give them time. Give them time, and those little foxes run in, and they start really messing stuff up. And after a while, it causes conflict not to slow down. And so these things can't, Sometimes they're not sinful issues, but they're just unhealthy things. Sometimes they are sinful, and they're unchecked. And sin separates your relationship with your God and your spouse. And we know that, that what sin does is it separates us. Um, even if you go all the way back to the garden, uh, Adam and Eve, what took place there in the garden? All right. Uh, God looks at Adam and says, what have you done? And what does Adam say? <laughs> the woman whom you gave to me, 
it was her fault. And if I really think through this, I was taking a nap, woke up with a little pain in my side, and she was standing around. This is your idea, God. I'm not responsible. God plays along and says, Eve, what have you done? And she goes, if we had a couch, Adam will be sleeping on it tonight. No, she goes, what? Serpent. He, made, he did this to me. What does sin do? First thing, when they sinned, they covered up. Hid from the sound of God. Why? Because when we're in shame, we don't want God around. And then what we do, we start blaming. She did it. He did it. They, uh, you blame it. And it separates us from God, but also separates us from one another. And that's what sin does. And, and so with that, if there's immoral issues in a marriage, something takes place is that it separates someone from God, but it also separates you from your spouse. The greatest gift you can ever give your spouse is your increasing holiness. So you say, I'm going to continue to set myself apart for the things of God. So what are the areas in my life where I need to fight against the sin that so easily besets me that I need to walk through to make sure that I'm fighting against? So you want to make sure that you don't let immoral issues continue on in your marriage relationship. And the six kind of major categories, what I call unavoidable hardships. So and when you think through this... Um, as you adjust through life, you must value your commitment over your compatibility. When you think through hardships that come up, you've got to value commitment over compatibility. Um, there are probably a time in your life where you were more compatible than you are now. And you go, what happened? If you didn't realize this, if you got married, you changed through the years, right? Uh, Sybil, you said this morning, how long were you married? 40, 49. 49 years, okay? You are not the same woman 49 years in the marriage when you first started, right? You changed, right? Uh, Rufus changed as well, right? Changed throughout the years. You all changed. So what takes place is, is that sometimes I've realized that I am doing what Amanda asked me to do, but I'm just about four years late. She was asking me to do this, asked me to do this, and I finally got around like, okay, she needs this. And you know what I found out sometimes? She actually changed. And stuff that she used to enjoy me doing, she doesn't enjoy anymore. And I go, ah! But I got it. She's like, yeah, I know. It, late, but good job. But now, guess what? We change through the years, don't we? And certain things that we needed at one point, we, we don't. Life changes us, and so things might be compatible, but, but there is an issue of commitment that regardless, the, the, the joke we always have is that we first got married, Amanda did not like ever really being alone. She just always loved to be with people. So we were in our, you know, double wide trailer and I'd walk into the room. She's like, where are you going? I'm like, I, I don't know right there. Like, you know, she said, what are you doing? Like, she just loved to be together, which was awesome. But as someone who is an introvert, I'm like, I'm just there. Like, you can't even get that far. You could reach me still, like, you know? And yet, guess what happened that the longer that you do marriage and now you start working and you have three kids and you're homeschooling, there's some times that guess what? Mama likes to have some quiet time, you know? You imagine that? She likes to have some quiet time. And what used to be like thing, no, I don't, I don't ever want to be alone. She, she loves moments like that. You change through the years. So you look and say, okay, so in that compatibility, you have to say, I want to have this commitment to learn you at every stage of our marriage. And to go, all right, now we're parents. What do you need? Uh, now, now we're empty nesters. What do we need? Now you're retired. What do we need? Now we've gone through this hardship. What do we need? It, it does change. And the strongest couples are, are the ones who refuse to allow the hardships that come against their marriage to come in between their marriage. So the hardships are going to come. There's no way around it. They're going to come against every single marriage as long as they don't come in between. So how do we endure the hardships and let it bring together? You know that one of the, um, there's so many people, there, there's uh, a couple that 
um, Amanda and I were very close to. Uh, they've moved to a different state now, but um, we found out that they had a young child um, die tragically in their house. Um, just a freak accident, something horrific. And one of the things when I was talking to the dad, he talks about that, you know, they, 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 somebody had warned them that talks about when you lose a child, your percentage of your possibility of getting a divorce skyrockets. And you go, what? Like, why is that? The pain is so intense. People don't know how to deal with it. And so sometimes it separates rather than bringing people closer together. And so, so with that, if, if that, that's reality, you always have to say, okay, hardship's coming against us. Let's link arms and walk through it together rather than you handle it your way and, and I'll handle it mine. That, that will never work. And so um, I, I love Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 4, uh, where she says, he brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. I always think through some of those old war movies that you see. You know, you see the chaos of the battle and everybody's running. And I always thought, if I was in one of those battlefields and there's people swinging stuff all over the place, I just have to imagine, you probably get bumped in the back and you just start swinging. You don't even know if they're on your side or not. Like the chaos of the battle, you probably get disoriented. And sometimes you've got to kind of get restarted. So what would you do? You look for the banner. What is the banner? The banner is, that's our side. You can run to the banner and go, this is a safe spot to be, and reorient yourself to the battle. This bride says, in the chaos that is known as life, his banner over me is what I run to. That love is the secure place to be, and that's what marriage is meant to be. And so when hardships come and when we go through it, when we've got to run to the banner, we've got to run for safety and protection, we have to give allowance to one another to be in the pit, but don't allow one another to stay there. So when hardships come, you got to give each other that, that patience there to say, okay, if you're struggling, that's fine, and I'm going to be there with you. But also, I'm not going to let you stay there. I want to help you out. I want to pray for you. I want to encourage you. I want us to, to read this together. I want us to get away a little bit. I want us to spend some time to make sure that we're working on the things that we need to work on. And so the, the question to think through is, what is the greatest threat to your marriage right now, and what are you doing to combat it? There are all kinds of things that can separate. And so identify what it is, and you fight it. <laughs> Go at it. Attack it head on, whatever you've got to do to really work at it. Because once again, a lot of times a little problem like this, not taken care of, over time it separates even further and can cause something which none of us want. So let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending Jesus who said, if God, if you've put a marriage together, nothing should separate. There's plenty of things that can do that. But God, I pray that we would work as hard and as diligent as we possibly can to take this wonderful gift of marriage and make it as strong as we possibly can through the power that you provide, the uh, instruction that you give us through your word, and the direction that your spirit gives us. So God, may the marriages in this church be strengthened. Uh, may this church be strengthened, and may we show a dying world what unconditional love is all about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.